Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wassalatu wassalamu ala sayidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man tabi'ahum wa walahum bi ihsan ila yawmiddin wa ba'd. Respected ulama ikram, respected elders and brothers, I'd like to take you back in history for a moment. <coughs> the location is Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi in the blessed city of Al-Madinah Al-Munawwarah. The day is a Monday. The date is the 12th of Rabiul Awal, 11 a.h. This is the last morning of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the face of this earth. The time is the time for Fajr Salah. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, due to severe illness for many salats, for many salahs, he has not come out of his blessed home and led the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum in salah. And as a result, that particular Fajr Salah, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum are standing in Salah, in prayer. Their Imam is none other than the most noble and the most senior companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And as they are standing there in Salah, all of a sudden, a shuffle is heard from behind the curtain that leads to the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then suddenly the curtain moves aside. And from behind the curtain appears the blessed and beautiful and radiant face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam witnesses before his eyes a scene, a spectacle that induces a beautiful smile on the already beautiful face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Before him, he sees his noble and loyal companions, radiallahu ta'ala anhum. Each one of them from a different background. Each one of them with a different story to tell what brought him there and why he is there. Some of them Arabs, some of them non-Arabs. Some of them locals, some of them foreigners, some of them refugees. Some of them hailing from the nobility of the Quraysh, and some of them former slaves, and some of them still slaves. Some of them absolutely wealthy, and some of them completely destitute. Some of them dark-skinned, some of them fair-skinned. Some of them young, some of them old. But despite these different backgrounds, and despite coming from various walks of life, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa at that juncture, at that point, witnessed before his eyes the fruit of his efforts in trying to establish a cohesive society and a thriving community. Before him, Rasulullah sallallahu saw a community that was to become the model and the example of what a Muslim community should be like. Before him was the foundations, the community that would become a foundation for Islam to spread in the four corners of the world. To put it to you in short, my dear brothers, at that juncture, at that time, Al-Masjid Nabawi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, may not have been a solid structure. But within the four walls of that masjid, 
there was a solid community, a rock-solid community. And this scene and this spectacle pleased Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he induced a smile on the face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But if one had to rewind and go back a mere 10 years, 11 years before that, that very same Medina Munawwara, which is known as Yathrib at that time, what was the state of the community of Medina Al-Munawwara? It was a community steeped in idol worship and paganism. The two major tribes of Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara, the Aws and the Khazraj, for decades they had been at loggerhead with each other. Many, many battles had raged between them in which scores of people lost their lives. The Jews of Madinah Al-Munawwara, the economy and the monopoly of Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara was securely in the hands of the Jews. The people of Madinah Al-Munawwara, the Arabs of Madinah Al-Munawwara were farmers. The Jews had the economy and the monopoly in their hands. Likewise, the Jews had the Arabs of Medina Munawwara at that time trapped in the web of usury by forwarding to them and giving them interest-bearing loans. They had them trapped in the web of interest and usury. And the, Arab, the Jews from that time who had that natural intrinsic hatred for the Muslims, for, for, for the Arabs, they were always and constantly looking for an opportunity to incite, to incite differences and incite fighting between the believers. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in a short span of 10 years, turns all of this around and develops and creates a thriving and a progressive and a vibrant community of Al-Madinatul Munawwara. The lesson for us, my dear brothers, or the question for us to ask ourselves, what was the strategy? What was the plan of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa What did Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa inculcate in those sahaba that turned around the community of Medina Munawwara and made them into this rock-solid community? And before we answer this question, my dear brothers, there's a few important things for us to discuss. Firstly, my dear brothers, unfortunately, many of us sitting here are perhaps 15 years old, 16 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, maybe 50 or 60 years old, or even older. In our lives, in school, we have studied the works of Shakespeare. In our lives, we have read numerous articles, newspaper articles. We have perhaps read Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom, or some autobiography or biography of some other person. But how many of us ask ourselves the questions? So many years of my life has, has passed, and have I even once picked up a book on the seerah, on the blessed life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and from cover to cover read about the blessed life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wallahi, my dear brothers, there are great lessons in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that brings me to my second point. That generally when we hear about the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when we study the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for whatever reason, perhaps in the secular world that we live in, we tend to only focus on certain aspects of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So mashallah, and very good, rightfully so, we look at the ibadah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa how he read salah until his feet became swollen, how he cried in salah, what was the quality of the salat of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa very good. And then we perhaps will focus on the akhlaq, on the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa how he was, his character, his good morals, very good in his place. But there are so many more lessons to take from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa 
What about taking lesson from the life of Muhammad, the husband, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? What about taking lesson from the lesson from the life of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the husband, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the bosom friend, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the statesman, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the master war tactician, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the commander of the Muslim army, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the psychologist. There's a lot of psychology in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the way that he interacted with sahaba. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's interaction with his sahaba was not a one-size-fits-all attitude. On one hand, he had to deal with the soft nature of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. On the other hand, he had to, he had to interact with the stern nature of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. On one hand, he had to interact with a person who comes from high lineage, noble lineage of the Quraysh. And on the other hand, he had to interact with a person by the name of Zahir who came from the outskirts. Who Nabi Sallam could see this person is lacking self-esteem. So Nabi Sallam, each person he treated him accordingly. How much lesson do we take from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? We only tend to focus on certain things and ignore so many other aspects of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So coming back to what we were discussing, my dear brothers, what were the plans and what was the strategy employed by Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to develop and create a thriving Muslim community and a robust and a cohesive and a vibrant Muslim community? So there are multiple things, my dear brothers. I just wish to speak about two important things, two important lessons and strategies from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Firstly, my dear brothers, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam arrived in Medina Munawwara, for the first seven months or so, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stayed in the house of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu ta'ala anhu as a guest of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And amongst the first things that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did when he came to Al-Madinatul Munawwara was to establish and build Al-Masjidun Nabawi, the holy mosque of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Understand my dear brothers, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not do things in a random fashion, in a random manner, take things as they come. Rather Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from the beginning of his mission, right until the end of his mission, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, every single thing he did was strategic. It was working according to a plan that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had in his mind. I mean, after all, that personality who taught us, la aqla tadbir, there is true intelligence, is for a person to have a working plan, to have a working plan. That personality who was entrusted with the mammoth task of spreading Islam in the four corners of the world, of course, you will be working to a plan and will not be acting randomly and take things as they come. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even before building a personal home for himself, even before he could build his own homes for himself and his wives, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam first built al-Masjidun Nabawi, a place where the community daily could come together. A place where they could come stand shoulder and shoulder and together as one community worship and bow down before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this Al-Masjidun Nabawi became the nerve center of the community of Al-Madinatul Munawwara. There were multiple activities taking place Al-Madinatul Munawwara. There was, there was salah taking place in the masjid of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
There was learning and teaching taking place in the masjid of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There was khidmah, serving of the creation of Allah Ta'ala taking place in the masjid of Nabawi. Many times the Ansar who were farmers, when they would harvest their kajur and their dates, then they would bring one branch of kajur, a qinwun, and they would, they would tie it up in al-masjid al-nabawi for the poor people and for the people of the masjid to eat of that masjid. It became the nerve center of the, of the community of al-Madinatul Munawwara. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will come back from Safar, even before going to his homes, first he will come to al-masjid al-nabawi. He will come, he will read two rakats of salah, sit down there. The people will come and greet Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They will come and give him a report back of what happened in Medina Munawwara whilst Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was out of Medina Munawwara. If a person was going through some sort of difficulty in his life, Abu Umam al-Bahiri radiallahu ta'ala anhu is suffering from some sort of depression. He's feeling uneasy. He owes people money. He's feeling down. Where does Allah find him? He finds him sitting in the masjid at a very, very odd time. On one occasion, Nabi Islam goes to the house of Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha. She asked, oh Fatima, where is your husband Ali radiallahu anha? She said, oh Nabi of Allah, we had a bit of a misunderstanding and he came out of the home. Allah instructs his sahabi, go and look for Ali radiallahu ta'ala. And where does he find him? He finds Ali radiallahu ta'ala in the house of Allah in al-masjid al-nabawi. My dear brothers, understand that these masajid that Allah ta'ala has blessed us with in our communities, these are the hearts of our communities. These are the hearts of our communities. Just as a person, a human being, if he does not have a heart in his body, then that person is dead. That person is non-existent. Likewise, a community that does not have a local masjid, does not have a local masjid, that Muslim community is dead. And just as a limb of a person's body, if it is deprived of blood circulation from the heart, then soon that limb will die. Likewise, my dear brothers, a Muslim living in a community, if he deprives himself of the masjid, then soon this person will die a spiritual death. The Hadith Sharif says that even if in a community there are even three Muslim men, even three Muslim men, and these three people do not come together, do not congregate for salah, they know very well shaitan has found a way to mislead these people. Hold on fast to congregating, congregating in the masjid. Hold on fast to congregating in the masjid for salah. Because the wolf, when it attacks a flock of sheep, it does not attack those sheep that are huddled together, that are standing together at the jamaat. إِنَّمَا يَأْكُلُ مِنَ الْغَنَمِ الْقَاسِيَةِ That one sheep that is standing aloof, away from the herd, the, the wolf will attack that sheep. That person that is staying aloof from his community, aloof from the masjid, understand that person has now become the prey of the biggest wolf, and that is shaitan. That is why many of us would have witnessed post-apartheid, when many of our Muslims began moving to areas that were formerly only reserved for white people. Very, no Muslim community there, no masjid there. How quickly many of these people lost their identity. So these masajid are the hearts of our community. And the more, the healthier the heart of a person, the healthier the body of a person is. Likewise, the more life there is in a masjid, the more life there is in a masjid, the more lively and vibrant you will find that community to be. Understand, my dear brothers, the primary function of the masjid is for us to come to the masjid and perform salah and in congregation and stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the primary function of the masjid. But as a knock-on effect, as a side effect of this, each time, five times a day, the community comes to the masjid. 
we are seeing each other, we are smiling at each other, we are greeting each other. And then in one uniform man- manner, we stand together in one saf, shoulder to shoulder, brothers to each other. And then when we perform salah together, following the one imam, and then when we make salam, the teaching is that when we make salam, when we make salam to the right, we intend that in my salam, all those Muslim brothers, my community on the right, my right hand side, all of them are included in my dua. And we make salam to the left, then all my fellow community members on the left, they also be included in my salam. And when we are coming together for salah, to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, without us even realizing we are engaging in a community building activity. And many times, my dear brothers, a person who is a regular in the masjid, he's a regular in the masjid, and then for some time, we do not see the person in the masjid. And it must have happened to many of us. We haven't seen this person in the masjid for some time. What has happened? Phone up the person, I had some problem, I had some difficulty, I'm in hospital, I'm sick. So now the community can reach out to this person and help this person. Why? Because this person was a regular in the masjid. We know him to be part of our community. When he needs help, we are there for him. That is why, my dear brothers, the importance of this local masjid that we have in our communities, the fuqaha, may Allah ta'ala reward them, they have extracted certain masail that shows to us the importance of the local masjid, reading salah in your local masjid. For example, one masala mentions that we know the virtue of getting takbiratul iftida, the takbir ula, reading salah, being present at the salah from the beginning of the prayer, it's a great virtue. So say for example, a person lives here in Asheville, and this is his local masjid. For some reason, he is delayed for salah, and he's un- he knows that he cannot get the takbir of iftitah, the takbir ula in this masjid. He can get the jamaat in the masjid, but he cannot get the opening takbir. But if he goes to another masjid, in another locality, there he can get the opening takbir of salah, and he can get the jamaat salah. He can get two virtues there, the opening takbir and the jamaat salah. Here he can only get the jamaat salah. For Qaha writes, still it is emphasized and it's preferable for that person to come to his local masjid. Sacrifice your takbir ula in another masjid out of your locality, but come to your community masjid and come to the masjid and with your community read salah. So my dear brothers, the first important point for us to understand that these masajid Allah Ta'ala has blessed us with. These are the, the, the hearts of our community and coming together daily perform salah as one community, as one jama'ah, goes a long way in us building a solid and a cohesive society. And the second thing, my dear brothers, very, very quickly, the second thing, to build a strong community, a cohesive society, is that we have to be understanding, we have to be kind, we have to be sensitive, we have to be warm towards our fellow community members. And added to that, we have to go out of our way to see to the comforts and see to the ease of our neighbors and our community. This itself, my dear brothers, is not one bayan, but is many bayans put together. But to make you understand, my dear brothers, understand that every community has three types of people in them, in it. Three types of people. Firstly, and the worst person is that person who is a menace to the society. He is a menace to that community. He is a curse to that society. That person for him to be six feet under is better for him and their community than for him to be walking on the face of the earth. Is that person who thrives on confrontation. Believe me, dear brothers, there are people out there that thrive on confrontation. Every opportunity they are looking for confrontation. It is that person who is insensitive 
towards his neighbors, towards those around him. For him to have a function and be rowdy and loud until late at night, not concerned about those around him. But let his neighbor do the same thing and very quickly he will call the authorities upon his neighbors. This person is the worst person in society. He is the menace to society, always looking to make mischief, always looking to cause friction in society. The second person, my dear brothers, he is not as bad as the first person, but he's not good enough. It is that person who keeps to himself only. He lives for himself and he dies for himself. He is not no benefit to others whatsoever. Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala says, the hadith appears, Imam Bukhari mentioned in the hadith in Adab al-Mufrad, that there was a time in Al-Madinatul Munawwara, a person earned one dirham. This one dirham that he had in his hand, his heartfelt desire was, how can I use this dirham to uplift my community? How can I use this dirham to uplift my community? I feel that the others are more entitled to this one dirham I've earned than I'm entitled to myself. But he says things have changed and today people are only living for themselves. And then he quotes the words of Rasulullah wasallam that tomorrow on the day of Qiyamah, you will find many people who will hold their neighbors accountable. They will plead to Allah, Oh Allah, this neighbor of mine, he kept his door locked. And the simple things, the simple acts of kindness, he deprived me of it. So second person, that person may be in the community who lives on himself. He's only worried about his comfort and his concern. And the third person, my dear brother, is that person who is an asset to society. His presence in this community, in society, is a means of consolation and benefit to the community. And the loss of that person from the community is rarely felt by the people around him. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was aiming. And he was inculcating in the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He wanted each Sahabi, of, 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 each companion of his, to become this kind of person. A person who is an asset to society. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam first came to Medina Munawwara, came to Medina Munawwara, with him were the Muhajirin. If you want to understand him, they were refugees. Came to Medina Munawwara. We are very familiar with the situation. Refugees, foreigners in our countries, they are open to manipulation, subject to manipulation, and they subject to xenophobia. But Allah's Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in a masterstroke act, Instead of telling the people of Medina that these are foreigners, these are refugees, take care of them, look after them, Allah's Nabi established the ties of brotherhood. So this person who came from Makkah is not a foreigner, a destitute person who you are helping. He is your brother. And as you will look after your own maternal biological, your own biological brother, likewise look after this man. And Sahaba went to such an extent to benefit others, Allah praises them in Quran. Allah said that the quality of the people of Medina Munawara was such that let alone sacrificing their leisures and the pleasures for these foreigners and these refugees that come, let alone that sometimes their own necessities, they would sacrifice that for their community, sacrifice that for their Muslim brother. Never mind, I will go hungry. Never mind, I will go hungry, but my guest, my brother, he must eat. Today, my dear brothers, maybe we may not be able, we don't have that sort of iman, where we can sacrifice our necessities for the people around us. But my dear brothers, simple, simple things. A simple thing as meeting your Muslim brother with a smile. 
A simple thing as meeting your Muslim brother with a smile. Unfortunately, my dear, this is creeping into us. Sometimes you greet a person with a smile on face. Assalamu alaikum. That person hears you, but he does not reply to your salam. You begin to wonder, maybe he didn't hear me. But the second time again you greet him. And again that person is not greeting you. And then what are you doing? You are breaking up hearts. You are separating hearts. You are, dis, you are, you, you are disuniting the community. So the simple thing, my dear brothers, reaching out to people. We're not saying that you give all your wealth, like how the Ansar give half the wealth to the, to the Muhajirin. But the simple thing, my dear brothers, keep a check on those around us, our neighbors, our friends. Is everything alright? Allah said, that person can never be a true believer. He can never be a true believer. That his stomach is full, but his neighbor is suffering from hunger. So my dear brothers, there's two important points that I could think of. That how we can act upon these things to create a cohesive and a vibrant and a thriving community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, keep our communities united. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make us come together on the haqq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make us live as a united community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make us pass with iman. Wa